to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he was a trailblazer and a beloved entertainer. But he was also a serial rapist. How does America square those two things? We'll review the Showtime documentary series, We Need to Talk About Cosby. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Good evening, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Kevin, uh, it is Monday's show that we are dropping right now. Yep. What is happening on the other show we're dropping this week on Thursday? On Thursday's show, we're going to be talking about season four of Accused, the impending execution of Elwood Jones. That is a podcast by our friend and podcaster friend, uh, Amber Hunt. Amber Hunt from the uh, Cincinnati Inquirer and USA Today. Yes. All right. Well, I think that uh, this is a meaty topic we're talking about tonight, so I think we should get to it, shall we? Let's do it. I'm going to drop that first clip right here. The juxtaposition is just bananas. He was someone to believe in and someone to trust. That he wasn't the nice person that everybody thought he was. I look forward to seeing Bill Cosby again in a court of law. For decades, he was an A-list entertainer who projected an image of wholesomeness. But the public was shocked to learn of Bill Cosby's dark double life, one in which the so-called America's dad was drugging and raping women for years. Take this. It'll loosen you up. And the first thing out of my mouth is, well, I don't drink. And he's like, yeah, it's not that much. The seeming resolution to the case has been deeply unsatisfying. What little justice his victims received was dashed when Cosby's conviction was overturned and a generation of Americans have been slow to come to terms with their own feelings about a person they admired revealed to be a violent sex offender. It feels like we haven't gotten to the root of the discussion. What do we do about everything we knew about Bill Cosby and what we know now? The four-part Showtime series, We Need to Talk About Cosby, examines all aspects of Cosby's life as a trailblazer and beloved entertainer and as a felon. W. Kamau Bell provides a platform for some of Cosby's many victims. He also turns the mirror on the black community and those who grew up watching Cosby to ask why they have conflicted feelings about his legacy. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Toby, this series really starts with Cosby and our childhoods. So can you please talk to me a little bit about the place that Bill Cosby had for you growing up? Because he really was ubiquitous, right? Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I hadn't really thought about it until I was watching this. But when I think back to when I was three, four, five, and I guess a little bit older, 
it, it just seemed like he was everywhere. Like he was on Captain Kangaroo, he was on Electric Company, he was on Sesame Street. And then another aspect of it was that at that time, my dad was also going to University of Massachusetts at the education school. He was getting his PhD. I think at that time, Cosby might have been getting his master's because hmm. uh, it was it was quite a few years earlier than when he got his EDD. Hmm. Um, but anyway, allegedly so just, got his EDD. Yeah, so it just boy, those um, people really shit on on folks that have your father's degree from UMass. No, I think they're <laughs> making a point between the EDD his dad and the has an PhD, PhD in oh, education. Okay. Yes, I think my dad's got a PhD in education. Anyway, <laughs> it was kind of a. It was a funny crack. Sorry, Did people Mr. call him Doctor Ball? No, not Mr. Ball. Doctor Ball. Yes. No, right. nobody calls him Doctor Ball. Um, <laughs> oh, your dad isn't one of those people who make everyone call him Doctor. No. Yeah. The doc- like, like a little little sign that says the doctor is in. Yeah. In our living room. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, it's funny because when I was watching this, I realized that I kind of associate him more with like kids humor mm-hmm. almost than adult humor because i you know i'm sure i watched a couple cosby shows but that wasn't really something i tuned into very often oh my surprise, god surprise oh, surprise <laughs> so i think i think of him more as being entertainment for for children and then seeing like other stuff that he'd done like in the in the 60s and 70s I, it was was pretty interesting toby's like i never drank coke so I never saw Titanic, never drank Coke, never saw I, the Cosby I did, Show. I didn't eat Jello, so I had no idea. Never had a pudding. <laughs> yeah, it's Jello pudding. At Kodak Film, uh, nothing. Yeah, nothing, oh. nothing. Yeah. So Kevin, talk about because I was thinking about this uh, when I was first watching it, and there are for me like multiple audiences for mm-hmm. this, right? Yeah. And you felt the same way. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are several constituencies, but the two major ones are, first of all, the black community, which I, I cannot comment on directly, no, you obviously. You know, um, and nor did you try. No, uh, I was, and we might as well stay straight up. Look, we're four white people, and we're talking about aspects of this. That is one aspect we cannot really talk about. Well, we can ask questions. We can ask curious questions about it. I mean, crime writers on the audience, as everybody knows, is smart and sophisticated. This is what other podcasters ask us about all the time. So if one is not curious any further about Bill Cosby, then fine, skip the crime of the week. We'll talk to you on Thursday. But there are aspects of this, you know, that sort of play within individuals outside, you know, that are not directly affected by Cosby. So one of those constituencies is the black community because Cosby objectively was a trailblazer in a lot of ways through the 60s and 70s in the entertainment world. 80s, 90s. And the 80s, right? But the constituency that I do belong to, and I think the four of us belong to, is the generation that grew up with Cosby as a person that we imprinted a persona of excellence on. America's dad, or just, you know, the funny guy from Fat Albert, but also who sort of told, you know, stories and morals and and did some teaching and education along with the entertainment and... The Cosby Show? Well, yeah, the Cosby Show, yeah. Even in Vermont, where we had no TV, I knew who Bill Cosby was. I'm sorry, like, you cannot understate how important and excellent the Cosby Show was. The Cosby Show was... Listen, I will I will talk about my feelings about Bill Cosby now and how unwatchable it is for me now. Right. The Cosby but, Show was the greatest sitcom of yeah. all time. For yeah. its for its era, it was. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I agree with that. Yeah. And I think those two constituencies, the black community and and generation X, I suppose that's us who grew up with Cosby. Okay. Now as fast as you can, along with me, you say 
Picture pages, picture pages, picture pages. No, that's not fast enough. Now, come on. Picture pages, picture pages, picture pages, picture pages, faster. Picture pages, picture pages, vote, vote, okay. There are many of us, not all of us, but there are many that are trying to sort of get their head around the betrayal of somebody who preached good, that he was actually very bad, and our own feelings about it because we imprinted, you know, affection towards this guy because we, you know, we were led to believe he was wonderful. It's not unlike a lot of other, you know, men that did bad things that we revered before we knew this. Cosby is interesting, though, because he is he is unique, and I think he is worth the deeper look. Well, I was at first, and Laura, I don't know about you, um, mm-hmm. as a woman, <laughs> I was at first, and by the way, I trust W. Kamal Bell. I, I know who he is. I trust him. Uh, he's somebody who's been very outspoken on this issue and many other, not just issues around Bill Cosby and the treatment of women, but also political issues and social justice issues that he's very much outspoken on on the right side of. I trust him with this subject, right? So when I started watching this, I was able to sort of live with my discomfort, but I had discomfort when I first started watching this in the initial setup of this because it was really just straight telling us the story of Cosby and building him up as a historical figure in the in history and pop culture, showing us how important and the reasons why we all believed he was great. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that setup? I mean, objectively, I think it was an important setup, but how did you feel about it when you were watching it, knowing what you know? I'm, I'm very just curious about that, uh, you know. Well, it's hard because watching it, I think that what this did really, really well was set up this historical, cultural context of Bill Cosby. And went through these old clips and like recollections and people talking about just how his career started and how he rose and how, you know, he was like the first lead black actor in a sitcom and how he got actual black stunt doubles instead of people in blackface as stunt doubles. And, and oh my all, God. Of, all of these things that he's doing in the beginning, you're like, oh my gosh, like, because you know how horrific just having done what we've done with this podcast, other Cosby media that we have reviewed and listened to, you know how how horrible the sexual assaults were. But I, I think what was good about this is you really can't understand how he was able to get away with this for so long if you don't really understand this sort of godlike role that he mm-hmm. filled not only in the black community, but in like pop culture for not just a little time, but for decades. And I think what was also really well done is as they're talking about that and they're setting up that, like the way that his career grew and this this status he took on and everything, you have people telling the story that are actually victims, Mm. but they're not initially like identified as victims. And so what I thought was really well done about that is that you go through their shoes of how they viewed him and and even the way they're talking about him as they're recounting how they met him or how they knew him. It's not traumatic in the beginning, the way they're talking about him. They laugh a little bit sometimes and and they're like, oh, this was Bill Cosby and, and this and that. And then when you have the flip and you find out, oh, they're actually one of the victims, it really, I think, set up this sort of how did this 
go on as long as it did? And, and why did it go on as long as it did? And then he finally started getting so annoyed and I could just see this whole, his face changing, you know, this anger coming over and he stood up and he came walking towards me and I got panicky and I stood up and then lost my balance and grabbed onto him. And the next thing I knew I was on my knees in front of the sofa. And I agree. I think some of the sourcing in this is incredible. And the fact that you have victims participating in the legacy story was very effective. It was, the for me, the only reason that worked. I do have a lot of trouble with the separating the art from the artist conversation. I have a lot of trouble with framing it that way. And I, have, I've always, I always have. For me, it seems that it's only men who have that conversation. For me, it's like women are like, he's fucking rapist. Like, he's a rape and you ask the question of in, in the in the in the documentary they ask all the women that question at the end the women are like no he's rapist and all the men are like well he's also this they address that at the very beginning but the fact that they do that Lara, and the women who are victims are participating in the historical thing is what makes it safe for me to, yeah. to hear the history and listen to the history but that happens right at the beginning toby and you sent me a really interesting note about it that was something that i picked up on too that very beginning scene with Stephen Colbert and Jerry Seinfeld talking about that art and the artist thing, I had a visceral reaction to that, just like you did. Can you still listen to his comedy? Oh, yeah. I can't listen to it now. No. I just oh, can't, you can't. I can't. I can't separate it. You can't separate it. I can't. Hmm. What did you think about that conversation between Stephen Colbert and Jerry Seinfeld there? It's strange because Jerry Seinfeld seems to think it's weird that Colbert can't separate the two. Like, it's clear that Seinfeld can listen to it and laugh and think it's hilarious and not really worry about what the source is, which makes me think, I mean, it's that's like feels like the kind of thing that the character Jerry Seinfeld would have done on the Seinfeld show, you know, yeah. just be sort of crass and unthinking in that way. So, yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's a pretty remarkable moment for a late night talk show to have something like that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. It's also weird that it's two white guys, <laughs> you know, two white comedians, but it does kind of set that theme like from the start. At least to me, it was it was kind of jarring and it was especially jarring to see somebody like Jerry Seinfeld, who you think would be confronted with this a lot. You know, that's his profession. Like he's another one of those guys who's sort of at the pillar of this profession. And he clearly, if he has given it thought like has come to a conclusion that I, I find is pretty, pretty indefensible. Well, you know, in that situation, it sort of came up naturally, right? He just sort of asked, like, who's your favorite? And Seinfeld threw out uh, Cosby. So it wasn't like it was a, a setup necessarily, like, let's get into Cosby. And so it just sort of very conversationally came up that we got Colbert's reaction. But what's telling about that is that it's very similar to what a lot of people, and I'm probably it's probably guys, you're probably right, Rebecca, it's probably exclusively men, who are like, okay, how do I balance this? I grew up loving the guy, and even though I'd know him, and he did so much good. How do I get my head around the fact that he did all this horrible stuff? That's sort of like what this is about. It's not like proving or disproving Cosby's innocence. It's settled, right? That's settled. That's not in dispute. He raped these people, right? But the thesis of the entire thing is we need to find a way to talk about this and settle this. And why is that important? Because if we as Americans can't get our head around somebody being accused of 60 rapes or it takes 60 rapes for us to kind of get our head around the idea that this guy is a bad guy, 
How does that benefit the one victim, the first victim to come forward? No, I got to wait for 20 more people, maybe 40 more people. I think it certainly talks about how we view victims and how we view the perpetrators and how can both things live together? And if not, who ends up being hurt by that? They're re-victimized in that way. Guys, before we continue with this laugh a minute episode, oh. can we do a little business? Oh, of course, let's do it. Let's play some business section music. All right, I'm going to drop that now. So right now on the Crime Writers on After Show, uh, we're all getting together and we're talking about something in the zeitgeist. We are. What are we talking about, Kevin? The return of Law and Order. Oh, the, iconic. Uh, the mothership is back on NBC and it's a good time to sort of talk about cop shows. Yeah. And if everybody has a favorite cop show or maybe you've sort of fallen out of love with those kinds of shows because of copaganda or changes in the justice system, the way you see things, are you able to sort of see it for what it is but also enjoy the entertainment Separate value? that art from the artist? Is that what you're Separate saying? Separate that art from the so, artist. So Kevin, you actually gave an interview to the Washington Post. I did. I about the return of Law and Order. We're yeah. going to talk about the return. I think it's in today's uh, edition. Maybe. maybe it's in Tuesdays. Maybe, I don't know. They didn't edit you out. So uh, the <laughs> return of Law and Order, it, why it matters, if it matters, does it not matter? And if it matters and we love it, why do we give that one show an exception? That's what we're going to be talking about, right? Yeah. Now, uh, some other business related to that. This Wednesday on uh, These Are Their Stories, we're doing a quick turnaround episode and we're doing a review of the season premiere Season 21, Episode 1, The Right Thing, Anthony Anderson is back, of course, Sam Waterston, new characters, so uh, we wanted to get that out right away. Yeah, we're turning it around, or you are. I mean, I'm going to be on it, but I'm not doing the editing, so congratulations. I got got so much to do the next couple weeks. Also on Patreon, the latest episode of Married with Podcast is out. We talk about a lot of things, but one listener wanted some advice on sending news. She did. I said, contact Laura Bricker. Yeah, she'll know what to do. She knows exactly what to do. Look at Laura's face. No, we didn't say that. I said use like uh, (laughs) Signal or WhatsApp. People were like, no, don't do that. Uh, We didn't know know what to say. We had no good advice for that. But there were other questions for which we did have good advice. I was thumbs up on nudes, by the way. You were not. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it for the business section, Kevin? Yeah, thus ends the business section. So people need to go to our Patreon and sign up how? Oh, yeah. Well... I wish I, like I wish something. I had said it in the very start of the episode. Patreon.com. Slash partners in crime media. You get all that content there. Now thus ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. All right. So, Laura, this documentary really does give victims their time, right, to tell their stories. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so this this documentary, there's definitely as you know, they're telling the story of Cosby. There's a lot of back and forth. There's kind of some jumping around past and present. But when we realize that these people that have been talking about the legacy of Cosby are victims, they are given a open platform to talk and they are allowed to go sort of uninterrupted and to tell their entire story. And I felt like that was really powerful in the way that it was done. Anyway, this this happened, you know, after he was convicted. And, and so the court process has sort of played out. But at the same time, this was a different sort of way for these women to be able to talk about everything that happened. But what I liked about it was that when it got time for them to talk, they were just given the floor. And I mm-hmm. thought that yeah. that was just good for them and and good for the filmmakers who let them do that. 
It really slowed everything down, too, right? Because the rest of it's sort of back and forth, and it's a good, you know, it's a spirited conversation or discussion about something, and then you come to that, and it is, you know, it's not 15-second sound bites anymore. Yeah, I agree with you, Laura. Yeah, yeah, and the testimony is not, like, refutable, right? Because all the stories right, are yeah. so similar. Kevin, what did you think about just, like, the inner... I mean, we've heard this before, and we've seen it before, but the sort of inner cuts between their stories and things he has said publicly... Uh, and things mm-hmm. that are a part of his comedy. And then even the way that he positioned himself on the Cosby show, you know, it's like all the professions he could have chose. He chose to be a gynecologist. He chose, like, he, he's, he's made all yeah. these choices in his career to basically put being in control of women on display. Yeah, it's a nit to pick here, but I, th- I think that uh, originally they wanted the, the Huxtables to be working class. They wanted him to be a janitor and stuff, and they said, no, how about you demonstrate some black excellence and have a more successful career. I think they went to OB because that was part of the same comedy routine that came. I mean, he could have been a dentist, but, you know, that whole could have been the whole family. Sure, thing. That, was all, that was all birthed by that that concert film himself. He could have yeah. been a dentist, Kevin, but he was a doctor who like looked at women's oh, vaginas. Sure, all sure, sure. Yeah, he could have been. Yeah. He absolutely could have been, and I completely forgot what the question was. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the whole idea that he kept infusing his comedy yeah. and his public statements with basically clues about his feelings about women and the way he treated women, jokes about uh, pills, jokes about Spanish fly, like his whole, like, like yeah. that's, I mean, it's one thing to say there are red flags, there are little clues here and there. The Woody Allen thing is another example of this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Putting 15-year-old women in his movies that he's sitting in bed with having conversations with. It's mm-hmm. shocking, right? Right. But Cosby did the same shit. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is troubling. Yeah. So, Toby, I want to talk a little bit about this turn that Cosby made because early in his career, there's this really, like, it's hard to discount and talk and, and, like, say that it's not important. This dive he made into education and this the civil rights stuff that he did and this incredible special he made that I'm really glad they showed the clips from uh, about education and, you know, it won, what, like a bunch of Emmys and stuff and Mm -hmm. Peabody or something. Um, And then it was an important facet of his life. And then he made this turn where it became very a performative part of his life. And then it became kind of a part of his life where he was kind of weaponizing it against his own community. And this was something I remember it happening in real time. I remember people talking about it in real time as it happened. I remember the Oprah appearance. I remember the thing that he did to Wanda Sykes. I remember people, him talking about the hiking up the pants and how shitty that was. Can you just talk a little bit about how, how that came across in the film? Because when he was doing that in real time, we weren't talking about the rape allegations at that same time, right? Right. It was like, why is he turned into such a dick? Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> there's this interesting arc, I guess, where, you know, I think this is what you're talking about. It, it goes back to when he was doing all the children's stuff. Like, are there other comedians who've gotten so interested in education? You know, like, I'm going to, like, kind of throw my hat into the education ring. I'm going to spend a lot of my star capital, celebrity capital on education. So it's the beginning while he was doing all these other horrible things, it was sort of pointed in this one direction, right? And then as he gets a little bit older, he becomes Dr. Cosby, Dr. C. Um, Mm. And as he gets older, he becomes more of kind of a scold. 
and sort of trying to, you know, quote unquote, like hold people to some kind of high standard or whatever. And I think they make, somebody makes the point that it's sort of similar to other, you know, African-American men of his generation, like that, that is sort of like this sort of cultural slash generational thing that he's kind of voicing. But it's kind of funny that the, that the younger comics get pretty offended by it. Well, I'll tell you what I remember as growing up. I remember white people being really fucking happy about it. I remember white people being like, see, because it underscored a lot of their racist feelings about black people because they were like, well, Cosby thinks it, too. Like, that's what I remember growing up when he was a scold Um, because he was talking about like single moms. He was talking about irresponsible dads. He was talking about the way young people dress, the way young people talk, speak English. And that was the same time the rise of that stupid fucking word Ebonics uh, came up. Like, that was Bill Cosby. It did so much damage. And I remember, like, white people, like, people my parents' age being like, see, this black guy that all the black people respect, and that's a star on television, he feels the same way we feel. It did so much damage, like, culturally. And I just, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what I remember about it. And I remember being like, Dr. Uxtable, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just remember, I remember at the, in the time being, like, being kind of horrified about it. You know, his, his interest in education, I don't think sprouts from sort of the same bad place that his predatory stuff comes from. But what that ended up doing is, and I think, Rebecca, you said this as we're sitting on the couch, it was almost as if he was grooming America. Yes. Right? When someone who's a predator grooms like the victim and maybe the victim's parents, whether it was intentional or not, he ended up building up enough trust. social capital, trust capital, you know, that you're like, whoa, well, he couldn't possibly be. Like if you said, go out and find, you know, the 10 most wicked sexual predators in Hollywood, Bill Cosby wouldn't be think on about your it, list. Think about it. He, right. groomed, he groomed kids yep. with Fat Albert. He groomed the black community with all the stuff that he did. He groomed uh, white like people with Cosby Show and all this. Yeah. He groomed everybody at various stages of his career. At some point, all of us were groomed by him, right? Yeah, and even sort of his his known character flaws ended up helping him. He was known as the philanderer. So when people saw women on set, they didn't say, oh yeah, th- there goes a rape victim. They don't know. They just kind of assumed that that was a groupie or something. Some of them were, but they can't say for certain that... None of those people were lured there. We, we heard those stories. But there was like lines of models outside his door. And it's like the only time his door was closed was when he was meeting with them. That whole thing about what was going on on the Cosby set. Some people were like, yeah, there's some combination of, yeah, looking back, that was messed up. Or at the time that seemed messed up. And then the one guy who's like the writer and producer was like, I, you know, I didn't realize that was going on. When you were talking about like like grooming America and like creating this sort of image, I mean, and that translated to this relationship that he had with Temple University. Yes. Where, you know, and, and I was watching that part as somebody that worked previously in university fundraising and and knows how, oh, you've got the big donor coming in and everything. But, you know, this it's usually it's like men in positions of power using like money and influence. And usually when we hear about this, it's white men. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in, in this case, He's doing the exact same thing and he's, you know, buying and sponsoring and, and, you know, to get on the board of trustees, like 
you know, that you don't just get on the board of trustees. That requires a certain monetary donation, like a certain level of being a certain level of donor to receive that. And then he's just created this entire persona. And that part really just pissed me off as I'm watching it because it's like, you know, he's just giving them money. And then when he gets the honorary degree, now, you know, you get the honorary degree again, you've given some money, I'm sure. And then thankfully, you know, because I went and looked this up because I couldn't quite remember the details. They did rescind that degree eventually, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't in this show. But in our last show, I mean, that was where we had the woman basketball coach Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. assaulted by him. And so it's just, again, this overarching theme of using the money and the power and the influence and the bullying and everything to cover up or not even cover up, just prevent anybody questioning what you're doing. Because how would somebody question him? And what's so interesting about his relationship with the colleges is that some colleges, the colleges especially where they were could be victims, he was just giving, 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 and other colleges he would have on a string. Mm-hmm. It was fucking fascinating. Um, we have to talk about Hannibal Burris, right? Yeah, sure. Because Hannibal Burris is the black male comedian who pushed the stone down the hill that finally got people really talking and gave validity to victim stories that had been circulating for years and years and years. I had heard for years about stories about Bill Cosby being a rapist. Stories had come up in the news. They'd be squashed. There'd been accusations. They'd be squashed. Hannibal Burris, a comedian that I had known about for a while and really liked, did this routine where he made jokes about it. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. Yeah, it was great women, Bill Cosby, so brings it down a couple notches. I don't curse on stage. Well, yeah, you're a rapist, so... The documentary makes a point and that, you know, I don't, as, as you mentioned, Kevin, we're four white people, we can't get too far into it, that there is a thing around, um, you know, the black community wants to protect black men, right? Because, like... They're sort of a precious commodity, and we don't want to, like, put them down if you're a member of the black community. Hannibal Burris is in a position where he can actually do it. He can actually call someone out for doing bad deeds because he is also a black man. Like, it's it's not dissimilar to, Kevin, as a white man, you can be an ally and call out mm-hmm. a white man for doing bad things in a way that, like, a white woman cannot, right? You have more power. Yeah. Hannibal I'm- Burris does this routine— And he makes these jokes and someone captures it on video. It is the weirdest of things that this is kind of the beginning of the end. I don't think it's that weird, actually. Well, well, you're right that sometimes it does take someone... Take someone like the to do that. Take right. someone like the perpetrator to call out the perpetrator. It's actually a right. known but, pattern. But listen to Hannibal Burris's actual stand-up routine. It's there really aren't like terribly cutting remarks. It wasn't a rant on him. So just it look was it sort up. of a, just Google look it. Look it up. You know, you pick up, pull up your own pants, Bill Cosby, whatever the hell it was. But it the thing was that these were statements by somebody too young to be influenced by Cosby's heyday to an audience ready to redress this issue. And so in that way, you know, it was just sort of serendipitous that it kind of came together like this. I don't think it was too young. Even Hannibal Burns says, I didn't go out there like trying to take down Cosby, but 
you know, he's just kind of spitting stuff back at like Cosby's hypocrisy. And you're right. And ended up pushing a boulder down the hill. I don't think he was too young. I just think he had little at stake because I don't think he thinks Cosby is impor- as important as we think he is. You know what I mean? I think he's influenced think, by isn't him. Isn't that what I just said? Yeah, but I don't think he doesn't think I don't think he's not influenced by him. I just think that media has changed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, Toby, what did you think about that Hannibal Burris footage and the fact that he was the one who was able to start this series of events that ended up with ultimately, really, I mean, he's the thing that ended up with Cosby ultimately being held to account and all his victims being able to come forward. You know, I think the tape is, and I'm sure, like, if anybody, like, did media studies, they'll probably just roll their eyes. But the tape, to me, like, just the fact that it's sort of this grainy tape in the the audio doesn't sound so good. I mean, it seems like it's like almost like an evidence tape, right? It's not like he's on some HBO special. Mm-hmm. Like I've got the stage now and I'm going to like make my point. It's more this sort of random night where he's on stage and he starts going off on this stuff. And it, it just kind of feels like, I mean, to me, it just is like, Oh wow. Check that out. It's like, it's like evidence. And so I don't know if that played a part in it. I mean, it's not like super incendiary, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, he's just basically saying, you know, again and again, well, you, well, okay, Bill Cosby, but you raped somebody, so. And it wasn't televised. Like, literally yeah. someone just got it on their cell phone. It's not really a memorable zinger, but it just, it was the thing, yeah. Yeah, but I do, like, a lot of this stuff, like the Bill Cosby becoming a scold and stuff, like, I was kind of vaguely aware of that was going on. I'd see him and be like, what the fuck? Like, what happened to him? But then this thing, like, definitely, it was, like, all over the place. It was, like, Hannibal Buress, like, calls out Cosby and all this stuff. I mean, that that definitely, like, penetrated my sort of cultural obliviousness. And, uh, you know, it was like, whoa, what the hell is this about? And millions and millions of other people, apparently. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I totally, I'm going to switch 180 here, that I thought they did in this that was really effective was when they were talking to different people about Cosby, and we're back to the art versus the crime aspect of of Cosby, and they would actually play clips of some of his really well-known comedy routines or really well-known sections of the Cosby show. And we would see people's reactions as they were watching that. And it was interesting to see some people were like still, even despite everything that we know now, laughing. Yeah. One of the main things I think about when I see that clip is just there are a million reasons we don't want what we know to be true about Bill Cosby to be true. And I think that clip highlights so many of them. And then some were watching and they're like, oh, yeah. Now, looking back, it is a little sketchy that his office when he was an OBGYN, was in the basement of his house. Yeah. Um, barbecue sauce was an aphrodisiac. Oh, my God. The barbecue sauce. Oh, that was awful. That was horrible. I got to say, that's one of my favorite conventions that's being on documentaries now. And the first time we saw that was in The Last Dance. Yeah. With Michael Jordan. I don't know if you guys have seen The Last Dance. One of the greatest sports documentaries I've ever seen where they showed Michael Jordan an iPad with clips of other people talking about Michael Jordan and we just get his reactions 
or certain plays or whatever. Yeah. But it was like, here's a here's it's a great way to get a reaction. Oh yeah. my God. Like here's Isaiah Thomas talking about you, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan would be like, Well, that's fucking bullshit. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he's got um, like his glass of whiskey in one hand, like he's just like drinking and laughing. Oh, at yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was it, was it it was incredible. It was incredible. And you know, we just I, I just but talking about that, you know, the Cosby show thing to wrap it up, the actress Lily Bernard, who was the guest actress on the Cosby show who just talks about being on the show and the experience on the set, like as Toby was saying, as a viewer and as somebody who loved the show for years and years and years to find out the culture there was so rotten to the core. We did have a writer on the show there saying, I didn't know I was upstairs writing. And then we have someone else that working on the show saying, yeah, handlers around Cosby totally fucking knew. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Is it a rotten culture where people really didn't know or is it a rotten culture where people knew and they're just like saying that they weren't in, like, what is it? Which one is it? What do we think? How could they not know? But I also go back to how could they not know? But at this time, there wasn't the level of awareness that we have now. So people knew and they turned a blind eye. He's a celebrity. He's uh, an actor. He's like really, really well respected. So you know, I feel like this wouldn't fly now, but when this started, um, it was the 70s and things were pretty different back then in terms of people's awareness of what they should or shouldn't do when something like this was happening in front of them. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that that quote about like how you won't believe something that will affect your ability to make a living or whatever they said mm. about climate change, about cigarettes and stuff. And it seems like sort of the similar thing where it's all these people who you're on Bill Cosby's show and, you know, you see this stuff happening and you probably don't feel super empowered to uh, to speak up about it because yeah. you don't think much is going to happen except to you and it won't be good. Yeah, I mean, you can't say with 100% certainty what everybody on that set knew between the grips and the producers and the writers that writers said he was upstairs and so that... He didn't sort of socialize a lot down on the other floor, on the, on the studio floor. You know, the thing is, there are a lot of people, a few people there, that was their first job, you know, working in the entertainment industry. So they had been groomed to the idea of the casting couch. A lot of them probably presumed these were consensual relationships that this dog was having. And that, you know, blinded them to the idea that these could be, that he could be slipping them stupefying drugs uh, in order to rape them. Because again, even today, it's kind of like it blows the mind that that a Bill Cosby would do that, right? So, I mean, I would imagine if you worked with him and you were up close to him, you know, the, the level of reverence was probably off the charts. But not only did he groom America, he ended up intentionally or not grooming cast and crew to I'll his, tell you, his actions. It was very interesting when this all happened to see what different members of the cast said publicly at the time. Some were still very much on yeah. his side. Others mm -hmm. completely silent, which tells me they were not. Well, some people also get all their royalties from the Cosby show, so they have a vested interest in getting that back on the air. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out, we need to talk about Cosby. It is a four-part Showtime series, and it is a documentary. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for We Need to Talk About Cosby? This is a thumbs up for me. This was, I think, really well done. It had input from a lot of people that were victimized by him, as well as people that knew him through the industry. And I just think that We've reviewed other cases where we have somebody that was, you know, celebrity that ended up 
in a sex uh, abuse scandal. But in this case, you know, I just feel like Bill Cosby's on sort of a different level in terms of his role in the society and just level of fame in terms of like everybody knew him. He like, he, I mean, and I hate to use this again because we've used it before, but like he was America's dad. And I just feel like this documentary not only talked about the case, but it really did bring perspective to his rise to prominence in his acting career and and how that played into this whole case um, and, and all these cases actually finally coming to light. So I just thought it was really well done. Um, it was definitely rage inducing. There were points where I was like, I want to like fucking choke that person, but I'm not going to. But I, I just think it was really well done. And I think that it takes something that is an issue that is pretty sensitive. Like, how can you talk about somebody that has done something so horrible and also talk about good things that they have done in the past? And I think that this did that really well. Toby Ball. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I basically agree with Laura. Uh, I thought it was pretty inventive, like in its structure. Uh, it has great people talking. I think the judgment's been levied on on Cosby for the most part by most people. But, you know, this kind of reminds you of the cultural importance that he had, like regardless of what his, you separate the, the art from the artist or not, what's not sort of disputable is that as vile as he was, he was a very important cultural figure. A lot of stuff happened because he existed and did the things that he did. So it, it, it does a good job of kind of detailing that and just never losing sight of the ultimate truth behind it. And I think that's one of the things that gets drawn out really well. It's like this happened the entire time. Like Cosby as a entertainer and as a public figure went through these different phases and he transformed in, in fairly radical ways over the course of his career during that entire time, he was sexually assaulting women. Um, and that, that was sort of like the one constant. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really big thumbs up for me. I wasn't sure what to expect or whether I was really up for it, but uh, it's complicated. It's smart. Um, there's a lot to think about. It doesn't look away from stuff, I think. I mean, I think it's a pretty forthright look at, at, at the subject. Kevin Flynn. Thumbs up. Kamal Bell's title is the thesis of his documentary. We need to talk about Cosby. In other words, why isn't this easier to just settle this, write this off, and put it in its place? We've had documentaries about Woody Allen recently and Michael Jackson, and those guys were never convicted. So there's like... I hate to say using this term, but plausible deniability for people who want to deny it. Cosby was convicted. His, his conviction might have been overturned on a constitutional call. Technicality. The, that's not in dispute anymore. He raped not one, not ten, but 60 women at least that we know about. This documentary shares more with O.J. Made in America. Remember that one? That was several hours, but it also presented O.J., first of all, sort of reminding us he was this great athlete. And not downplaying that, Cosby was a, a sui generis figure in American culture. They don't deny that because it also plays a role into why he was able to get away with things. This is mostly about us, though. This is about whether you're a member of the black community. And we heard, you know, we heard from a lot of people in that community explain what he meant to them and how this affected them. Or if you're like us, you know, folks that kids who grew up on Cosby, why is this harder for us to just accept? Why are we troubled by the idea that this was somebody that 
told us to do good, and we can't get over the fact that he did bad. I think Kamal Bell put it best when he said, you know, it's not necessarily separate the art from the artist. It's more like separate the better angels of his message, which was to be good and live a good life, from the criminal that he was. Basically, remember the lessons that he told even though he dramatically failed. Keep that good. Be comfortable getting rid of, of the rest. Cosby is an interesting figure, and I thought this was well done. Um, so I did not want to watch this, right? I heard the title. We need to talk about Cosby. I'm like, no, we fucking don't, right? We don't need to talk about Cosby. We don't need to talk about Harvey Weinstein. We don't need to talk about Matt Lauer. We don't need to talk about Woody Allen. Fuck all these guys. We don't need to talk about any of them ever again. That was my gut reaction. I did not want to watch this. I am so fucking tired of conversations about like wringing our hands over, whoa, but this person's important, even though they raped a bunch of people. Okay, I was dreading it, fucking dreading it. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of making excuses for like examining someone's legacy, even though they did something horrible to a bunch of women. I feel like society hates women so much that we excuse people's crimes against women because they did great things. That being said, this doesn't do any of that. It's really fucking good <laughs> because it does, does examine Cosby's legacy. And I was very afraid when we started watching it because I'm like, oh, fuck, it's doing that. It's doing that thing. It's building him up. It's trying to make us feel like, oh, but he did all these great things. But as Toby said, it points out, yeah, he did all these great things. And he was raping women the entire fucking time he did all these things. And it points out he did all these great things and he was grooming America to trust him while he was doing these things. Sure, he made a lot of strides for people while he was doing these things and those were good outcomes, but he was grooming us to trust him so he could rape people while he was doing those things. It does not pull the punches that I was terrified it would pull. Um, so while I will say this is not my invitation for someone to make a we need to talk about Matt Lauer fucking documentary. Do not do it. This <laughs> one was great. And I really, really enjoyed watching it. It was beautifully done. Um, I appreciated a lot about it. And I learned a lot. And even though I dreaded it, I was really glad I ended up watching it. So big thumbs up for me in a way that I am surprised I'm feeling about it and glad for we need to talk about Cosby. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. Hundreds of people in Zurich lined up for a chance to spend four days in a new prison, part of a plan to test the facility before it opened to inmates. About 300 people volunteered to be placed in cells, yelled at by guards, marched to the mess hall, and to do all the fun things you can do in a prison. The fake inmates were given a, quote, safe word so they can, quote, escape if the experience <laughs> was too intense. This open house is a good drill for the staff to learn intake and housing procedures. It's also an opportunity for a Swiss criminal mastermind to get a head start on his escape tunnel. So, panel, what do you think is the best part of being a fake inmate for a weekend? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, well, you might get a bologna sandwich. I'm just saying. Mm. <laughs> Tell me about what do you think is the best part of being a fake inmate for the weekend? The sweet threads. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what do you think is the best part of being an inmate for the weekend? 
temporary prison tattoos. Oh, my God. Guys, the best part of being a fake inmate for the weekend is getting the fuck away from your family. No. Being an inmate for the weekend. <laughs> I thought the best part of being a fake inmate is going home. No. For God's sakes, he's getting some goddamn time alone. It's the Conjugal only thing visits, I... man. So oh, yeah. Conjugal visits. <laughs> Strip searches. The only thing I ever want, I, ever. I have to tell you. Um, just quickly, they actually, when the new Stratford County Jail opened back in like the mid 2000s, early, early 2000s, I went in for one of these things and they had a similar thing here. I didn't stay overnight, but I did lay on one of the mattresses. All so. right. Ah, well, good. now you know. And the best part mm-hmm. was getting away from your damn family. Did you get right. like lice or anything? <laughs> no, they were brand new. Nobody else oh, had been nice. in there. But they were very thin. I remember thinking, God, these mattresses are so thin. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what made you a criminal justice reform advocate. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and ask you more about the time you did not spend the night in the Stratford County Jail, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and ask you about your memories of all the episodes of The Cosby Show that you watched, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at TobyBallNH. But another thing they could do while they were there is if I can just yes. have the floor for just a second. I am actually going to be in London briefly in March. And so I was going to see if people who are in London have any interest in like meeting up and grabbing a beer on Sunday, March 13th. You want to do that? You know what? I want to do that. Yeah. Folks in London will pay for your drinks, and they are fun as hell. We had a great time in London we did a with great our listeners there. Yeah, yep. there's All a right. bunch that'll come out. Yeah. Yep. So either hit me up on uh, social media, or I guess if you're not on social media and you're hearing this, uh, you can probably just send an email to Crime Writers On and just put like London in the in the. Do uh, it in the Facebook right. group too, oh. or the Facebook group or whatever. Just yeah, they'll forward it on to me. Anyway, it'd be nice if we could get like a, a small critical mass or a huge critical mass. They should go to that place we went, that detective... Evans and Peel. Yeah, Evans we'll and tell Peel. Y'all, we'll tell you all about that place. Yeah, You'll yeah, yeah. love it. You'll love it. All right, Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and remind you how drunk we got at our yeah. meetup in London, how can they find you there? I'm at www.twitter.com slash Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show right now. Plus married with podcast, Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby balls, deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we volunteer to spend time in solitary confinement. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. W. Kamau Bell provides a platform for some of his many victims. He also turns the mirror on the black community. How about, can you say Cosby's many victims? Oh. I'm just kind of a dangly participle <laughs> yeah. there. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. yeah. W. Kamau Bell provides a platform. For... <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Kamau.
Amazing Crime Media. Media.